Hey guys, I am so glad to see you, and it really always is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share with you. Um, it's humbling, and so I'm so excited to be able to do that. Again, if you're joining us online, a special welcome to you. And uh, we've been going through this series with Pastor Marty calling, called Let's Grow. And Pastor Marty's been challenging us. He's been inspiring us. He's been encouraging us to grow in our faith with one another and what that means and what that looks like. And so if you've missed the past several weeks, I want to encourage you to go online or go on our app. Check out those sermons, those teachings. You will definitely be blessed tonight. And as I was preparing for this, I was reminded when I was a a young kid, my parents are both from California. And so all of my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, they live in California. And so regularly we would take a road trip all the way out to California. And I remember as a young man going to the Redwood Forest. How many of you have ever been to the Redwood Forest before? All right. If you haven't, put it on your bucket list. It is an incredible experience. Even as a young child, I remember this. And so I brought some pictures tonight. These are actually seeds that are from the Redwood Forest. Those huge trees that grow come from these small seeds that are planted in the ground. And you guys probably remember the verse when Jesus said, unless a seed is planted in the ground and it dies, it cannot bear fruit. And so these are seeds. And then I've got another picture. This is just kind of a diagram. It's a picture of comparison of when from an apple tree to a 10-story building all the way to the giant sequoia and the coast redwood trees. And then finally, I have a picture. This isn't me, but it's of another human being that is standing beside these trees and how enormous they are. And as I was studying this and as I was looking at this, I, I came across this fact, and probably some of you already know this. The roots grow the deepest during the fall and the winter. Do you know that? The roots grow the deepest during the coldest temperatures, the most severe weather many times in many regions of the United States and even around the world, and the most darkest times. I'm so ready for us to push our clocks forward so that the sun is shining longer in the day. I leave my office and it's dark sometimes. It feels like it's later than it actually is. And I'm like, it's four o'clock and I'm eating dinner. What's wrong with me? I feel like I'm 70. But um, that whole idea. Uh, oh, is that, that's, too, that's too soon. My bad, my bad. All right. We're going to Golden Corral after this. Okay, so it's all right. But. But, but that whole idea of the, the roots are actually going deeper during those severe times. And, and so many times in, in our lives, I think when we want to grow and, and it feels like nothing's happening or we can't see any growth, it's actually happening in a dark place. It's actually happening underneath the soil. And if our roots aren't deep, then we can't reach the heights that God wants us to go to. And if I asked you the question tonight, how many of you enjoy going through trials? I don't think anyone would raise their hand and say, I love going through hard times. I love going through difficult times. I love it when it feels like everything is against me. Those are my favorite times of my life. I don't think anyone necessarily would raise their hand. But Jesus' brother, the apostle James, he said it this way, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. When you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
And then he goes on to say, and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature, so that you can actually grow up, so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so when we go through trials, it's actually a maturing process in our lives. That many times when we go through trials, when we go through difficulty, when we go through circumstances and situations that we wouldn't have asked for, that we aren't necessarily looking forward to, that's a process in our lives where we can either draw closer to God and we can go deeper in our relationship with God or we can try to skip out on what God is actually trying to do in our lives. And so I thought, man, we should talk about growing in our trials Aren't you guys glad you came to church tonight? And so I'm so excited for this because we could look at many different people throughout Scripture who went through difficult times, who went through trying times. But one of the ones that are probably in the top five is a guy by the name of Joseph. So if you're new to Scripture, if if you're kind of checking us out or you haven't been to church in a long time, I just want to remind you the Bible's broken up into two pieces, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to be in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, around chapter 39. So you're welcome to turn there if you have your app or if you have your Bible. And maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online and you might be like, Michael, I'm not really sure if I believe in the Bible. I'm not really sure if I believe in Jesus or God. And I just want to let you know, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you keep coming back. I hope you keep wrestling with your faith or with where your journey in faith is or with who God is and the questions that you have in your life. I hope you keep coming back. And I hope that you continue to grow and explore what it means to follow Jesus. But Joseph, he's one of 13 kids. Now, I don't know if you come from a big family or not, but if you're the oldest, can you raise your hand if you're the oldest child in your family? All right. If you're the youngest, can you raise your hand? All right. All the youngsters, you guys are the spoiled ones. Do you guys realize that? You're the ones who you got everything worked out for you. You got everything just the way that you wanted it. And Joseph is one of 13. He's actually number 12. He had 10 older brothers, one older sister, and then a younger brother by the name of Benjamin. But here's the thing. Joseph was the favorite. And when people tell me, hey, Pastor Michael, I want to have a biblical family. I always say, hey, time out. I don't know if you want to say you have a biblical family. You might want to have a Christian family. That's something totally different because the families in the Bible are dysfunctional at best. Okay, because Joseph wasn't just the favorite. He was the favorite of his dad's favorite wife. I mean, I can just handle one barely with prayer and fasting. Okay, but he had two wives and two concubines and he had 13 kids and Joseph was the favorite. In fact, he was so much the favorite that his dad made him this, this dream coat, so to speak, right? You guys have heard of the dream coat? This multiple color dream coat. It was Gucci. I, I think the kids, this, they're saying it's bougie. Is that the right word? I don't know. I'm too old for that. But, but it, was, it was a nice coat and the Bible tells us that, that his brothers become jealous that they become jealous of Joseph because he's dad's favorite. And then one day to kind of put icing on the cake, he comes to breakfast with his coat on and he's like, guys, I had a dream. And in my dream, all of you were bowing down to me. 
And they're like, Joseph, you're not even the oldest. You're not even in the top five. You're down here, number 12. You're not going to rule this family when dad and mom pass on. We're going to be in charge. Reuben's the oldest. He's the one. But he, Joseph said, no, it, in fact, I had another dream that the moon and the sun, mom and dad, they were bowing down to me with, with the 11 other stars. You, my brothers, you guys were all bowing down. And listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 29, excuse me, 37. And verse number three, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him this robe. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not say or speak a kind word to him. And then Joseph had that dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. See, whenever we're facing these trials... This first tree that I brought out here tonight is just simply this. This tree represents the, the trial of rejection. Have you ever been rejected before? It, it stings. I don't think there's anyone that I've ever met that said, hey, Michael, I've mastered rejection. I love rejection. I love it when people stop liking my photos. I love it when they unfollow me. I love it when they don't invite me to the party or hang, to hang out after work. I love that. I love being rejected. But Joseph, he, he's rejected. And, and listen to what happens. He, one day his dad sends him out. He says, I want you to go check on your brothers and how they're taking care of the sheep. And so Joseph obeys his dad. He does what his dad is asking him to do. And he goes to check on their, his brothers. And they said, look, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that kid who has the dreams, who thinks we're all going to bow down to him. Hey, let's kill him. Now, I know you might have been upset with your younger brother or sister. Maybe even a little bit jealous. But they said, we want to kill him. And Reuben, the oldest, is like, hold on, guys, time out. We're not going to put that kind of blood on our hands. Let's just throw him into this pit over here and, and just ridicule him. Let's mock him. Let's beat him up a little bit. Let's, let's teach him a lesson. But, guys, we don't want to kill him. So they come and they take his coat from him and they throw him in the pit. And as they're around there, around the campfire, and, and it's getting later, there's some Midianite traders that are walking by that are traveling by, and they said, hey, guys, how much would you give us for our younger brother if we sold him to you as a slave? 20 pieces of silver. They're like, hey, we can make bank, and we get rid of this little pest in our lives. And so they sell their brother for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph watched as they put the money in their hands as they threw him at the feet of these Midianite traders. And Joseph is rejected. Joseph is pushed aside. Joseph is betrayed. Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you thought you could trust, someone that you thought loved you? And he's pushed aside and he's sold as a slave down to Egypt. And then his brothers take his coat, they tear it up, they dip it in lamb's blood, and they bring it back to their dad. And they're like, Dad, look. Is this Joseph's coat? We don't know what happened. Have you ever walked in with your kids and one of them's tied from the ceiling fan? <laughs> the other two are under the bed and one of them's climbing out the window. And they're like, Dad, we don't know what happened. And these older brothers, I just picture them. They're like, Dad, we, we don't know what happened. They're lying to their dad. And if you know Jacob's story, deception runs deep in his life. 
He once deceived and now he's being deceived by, he once deceived his father, now he's being deceived by his sons. What you sow, you're going to reap. And he weeps and the Bible says that none of his kids can comfort him for weeks and weeks on end. Meanwhile, Joseph is down in Egypt now and he's been sold to this guy by the name of Potiphar. And the Bible says this, when you read Joseph's story, if, you don't, if, you, if you've never read Joseph's story, go home and read it tonight. When you read his story, this theme, this statement keeps appearing in Joseph's story over and over and over again. And God was with Joseph. Hold on, God, you were with Joseph when he was in the pit? You, you were with Joseph when his brothers sold him? And, and now you're with Joseph when he's being sold as a slave to this Egyptian named Potiphar. Potiphar was a general in Pharaoh's army. And he sees God's favor on Joseph's life. And he actually puts him in charge of his entire household. The Bible tells us that Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except what he was going to eat. If he was going to go to Five Guys or if he was going to go to Chipotle. Or for Pastor Marty, if he was going to go to Andy's. Right? Potiphar said, I'm not concerned about the animals. I'm not concerned about the staff. I'm not concerned about the servants. I'm not concerned about the upkeep of my home or my lake house. Joseph, you're in charge of it. You have control over it. The only thing I'm concerned about is with the meals that I'm going to eat. And so God is with Joseph in Potiphar's house. The second tree is just simply this. The trial of temptation. Because you guys know the story probably. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. She was on Desperate Housewives of Egypt. She was crazy. Listen to what it says. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. She's like, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. That's aggressive, right? I mean, there's no texting, there's no notes, there's no check yes or no, maybe. There's just, hey, come to bed with me and listen to what Joseph says. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. You've got a ring on your finger, lady. You're married. You're his wife. And Joseph goes on, because you are his wife. Now then, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And I love Joseph, because this is incredible to me. Because at first I want to say, okay, Joseph, what God? The God who allowed your brothers to betray you and reject you? The the God who watched as your brothers laughed when you were sold? The the God who now is allowing this woman to come into your life and, and to tempt you? That God? Joseph, you still have trust. You still have faith in God. And church, we can learn from Joseph tonight. Even when we feel rejected, even when we feel tempted, God is with us. God is for you. He's not against you. And what I love in the New Testament is this. There is no temptation that is common to man that God does not provide a way of escape. 
Because day after day after day, the Bible tells us she keeps coming on to him. She keeps saying, let's go to bed. Come on, please. No one will know. I'll never say anything, I promise. And one day she sets up the house where no one else is in the house except her and Joseph. And she says, come to bed with me. And he says, no. And he runs And she grabs him by the coat. This is the second time a coat has gotten Joseph in trouble. (laughs) She grabs him by the coat and he runs out of the house half naked. He's like, I'm not, I don't care. I'm leaving this situation. I'm running. I'm going to flee from sexual temptation. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, flee from sexual immorality. And he runs. He runs for his life. And she realizes his coat is in her hand. And she starts to fake cry. She comes up with a plan. She's been watching CSI and she's like, I got a plan. She starts yelling and and all of the servants come in and they're like, what's up, crazy lady? I mean, what's up, Potiphar's wife? Because they know. They know how she's been playing around and flirting with Joseph. And she said, Joseph tried to come in and rape me. And when I called for help, he ran and he left his coat in my hand. And she makes up this lie. Joseph does the right thing. And he still gets in trouble for it. Joseph does the God-honoring thing. Joseph does the thing of integrity. Joseph is a man of character, and he still is punished for it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done the right thing? Have you ever done the wise thing? Have you ever done the God thing? And it still feels like it's not working out the way that you had planned or the way that you thought it was going to work out. And so Potiphar comes in from playing tennis And he hears her story and he has Joseph thrown into the dungeon. He's gone from the pit to Potiphar's house and now he's in the prison. And again, the Bible tells us that God is with Joseph. And Joseph goes down there and I mean, they're they're doing push-ups, they're doing pull-ups, orange is the new black. I mean, it's crazy down there. They're they're down there hanging out and, and Joseph says, They're like, Joe, what are you in here for? And he's like, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. And everyone else in the circle says, I'm innocent too. (laughs) And what about you? Yeah, we're all innocent. None of us did anything wrong, Joseph. Let's put all of our hands in the middle. And if any of us ever get out of this situation, let's help each other out. And everyone says, all right, we're all in this together on three. You ready? One, two, three, together. And Joseph interprets some dreams for one of Pharaoh's cupbearers and his baker. And the dreams actually come true. He says, hey, in three days, Mr. Cupbearer, Pharaoh's going to bring you out of prison. And he's going to restore you to your rightful place. And I'm sorry, baker, but I've got some sad news for you. You're going to be hung on a pole and the birds are going to come and eat your flesh. Pharaoh's going to have you killed. And in three days... Both of their dreams come true. And Joseph says, remember me as the prison door slams shut. And guess what? He doesn't remember him. And Joseph is in the prison for two more years. The second, this third tree, excuse me, is the trial of isolation. Now, I know some of you are introverts by nature, Okay. So I know that's part of your love language. Some of you don't like, you, you do not like wa- being around people. That's why you're watching online tonight. It's because of that. <laughs> but did you know 
when God wants to do something great in your life, many times he will isolate you. He will put you in a place of loneliness because he wants to do something deep inside of you. He wants your roots to go deep so that he can take you to the place that he has prepared for you. And there are moments of isolation that we see throughout Scripture. David, he was in the pasture when he was found to go and kill Goliath, the giant. Jesus, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness before he entered into full-time ministry. He spent time alone in the mountains praying and spending time with God. Why? Because God was wanting to prepare him for something that he had destined him for. And church, can I tell you something tonight? There might be some of you and you feel alone But I want to tell you something. God is preparing something in your life. And you can choose. You can choose to try to skip over the process. You can choose to try to ignore it. You can choose to try to fill your lives. I mean, come on. We live in a world nowadays where we fall asleep with the phone in our hand. Or we fall asleep with the television on. We very rarely have any silence or space in our lives to be alone with ourselves, to be alone with God. We're constantly going from waking up to the alarm, to working out, to going to work, to coming back home, to preparing dinner, to getting the kids ready for bed, to doing whatever your routine is, and then going through that process over and over and over again. And very rarely do we hit the pause button and just stop. Be still and know that I am God. And sometimes God has to isolate you so that he can allow the roots of your life to continue to go deeper. And listen, listen to what it says there. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph and he forgot him. He's forgotten. And you guys know the story. Two years go by, two more years in a prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And and we don't understand prison the way, because we live in America, okay? There's no bail. There's no jury. There's no judge. There's no appeal. None of that is happening in Egypt. It is just you're in prison, that's it. Until you die. And so one night, Pharaoh has two dreams. And you probably know the story. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and he calls his astrologers and his magicians and his enchanters and his Harry Potters. And he's like, hey, guys, gather around. And he says, come on, I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you this dream and I need you guys to tell me the meaning. And none of his enchanters, none of his wise men, none of his astrologers, none of his magicians can interpret the dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, yeah, Pharaoh. Two years ago, you put me in prison. Let's not talk about that, but let's move on. And when I was down there, there was a kid by the name of Joseph who interpreted a dream, and it actually came true for me, and it came true for your baker. And and this guy knows how to interpret dreams, and he says, go and get him. So they go down to the prison, and they're like, is there a Joseph here, a Hebrew? They find Joseph. The Bible says that they give him a shower, they shave him, they put some tattoos on him. They try to make him look like he's actually from Egypt. And they bring him in front of of Pharaoh. And he says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's like, no, I can't. But the God who I serve can. I'm just his vessel. And do you realize what he's saying? Pharaoh is considered a God. 
I'm sure the soldiers reach for their swords. You're saying there's another God other than Pharaoh? How dare you? We will strike you down right here. And Pharaoh's like, no, put your swords back, guys. I need need to know what these dreams mean. And he tells him his dreams and he says, Pharaoh, your dreams are two and the same. What they mean is this, that there's getting ready to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of phantom, phantom, famine. (laughs) Where did that all come from? No idea. (laughs) Seven years of famine, drought, no food, no groceries, no Costco runs, nothing, okay, absolutely nothing. He said, he tells him the interpretation and he says, He starts to advise the Pharaoh. He didn't ask for his advice. He says, this is what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to find a wise man. You need to find a leader. You need to find someone who is wise enough to start taking a percentage and setting it aside during these seven years of prosperity and start building up storehouses so that when the famine comes that you are ready. And so that you have food to eat, your nation has food to eat. And in fact, Pharaoh, all of the nations from around the Middle East will come to you and buy food. And you will be a very wealthy man if you do this. And Pharaoh leans back and he says, who else can we find like this kid? The spirit of the gods live inside of this kid. Something's different about this kid named Joseph. And in a moment... Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in one of the greatest empires at that time in the world. In the world. Pharaoh says this, no one will move Joseph without your permission. Only my title and my crown separate me from you, Joseph. You're second in command. Whatever you say goes. And so Joseph gets to work and for seven years he sets aside And he labors and he works and he strategizes and he works it all out. And then on January the 1st of the eighth year, no more crops, no more food. And two years into the famine, don't you know that Jacob, his dad, says, I've heard that there's bread down in Egypt. The 10 of you, I want you to go and I want you to buy food so that we can live. This last tree is forgiveness. Man, this is a hard one. Because the 10 brothers come and Joseph's in charge and he speaks Egyptian. He still speaks Hebrew, but he speaks Egyptian because he has an interpreter. And when the brothers show up, he knows exactly who they are. And he says, you're spies. And they all fall down on the ground with their faces to the ground. And Joseph's like, this is my dream. This is my dream. This is my dream. This is what I dreamed. 22 years. 22 years have passed. He was 17 when his brothers sold him. 22 years later, his brothers are there bowing down in front of him. Church, God may have given you a dream. And you're like, when, God? Just because it hasn't come true yet doesn't mean that God has forgotten about the promises and the covenant and the dreams that he's given to you. 22 years, Joseph's been waiting, and in that moment, he realizes this is them. 
And for us to say that Joseph, because the, when I talk about forgiveness, I always get people who come up to me afterwards and Pastor Mike, and they're like, Pastor Michael, you don't know what they did to me. And I don't. And I'm not minimizing that. And I'm not making it smaller than what it is. Okay. I'm not doing that at all. And some of you have shared your stories with me and tears come streaming down my eyes. And you're like, how do I forgive them? Someone who I love, someone who I trusted, who abused me, who manipulated me, who lied to me, who deceived me, who used me. How, how do I forgive? And church, what I love about the, the Bible, it's true. And it's real. It's real life. Joseph is struggling with this. How am I going to forgive these guys? So he has them all put in prison because he's just trying to have to sort out his thoughts. And then he says, okay, guys, this is the deal. Nine of you can go home. I'm going to keep Simeon here because you told me you have a little brother back at home. If you bring your little brother back here, then I'll believe you that you're not spies. And so they go home and they tell their dad, dad, we had to leave Simeon down there because the ruler of Egypt, the one who's handing out the bread, the one who's handing out the grain, he said he thought we were spies and we told him about Benjamin, we told him about you, we told him about Joseph who, who's dead, he, he's not around anymore and we just have the one brother left at home. And he said, we have to bring Benjamin down in order to get more food when we come back. And Jacob's like, no, no, I already lost Joseph, now I've lost Simeon, I'm not gonna lose Benjamin. So no, you can't take him. Months go by. They run out of food, and Jacob's like, go get some more. And they're like, Dad, this guy will kill us if we go back without Benjamin. So they argue, they're fighting, and so finally he's like, okay, fine, take him. So they go. Benjamin comes, and Joseph has to leave the room because he's broken and he's weeping. He hasn't seen his little brother, the other son of his mother, Rachel, for 22 years. He gets himself together. He comes back in the room. They have this huge feast, this huge party. He gives them all the grain and he tells one of his servants, take my silver cup and put it in Benjamin's bag. He's still wrestling with the forgiveness, church. It's okay that you're still wrestling with unforgiveness. But God's wanting something to go deeper. You have to allow the roots to go deeper. Then he sends out his guards after they've gotten some miles out of town and he brings them back and he says, why would you steal from me? He's still talking through an interpreter. They have no idea who he is. He says, whoever has the silver cup in their sack, they will be my prisoner. They cut open all the sacks. And the last one they cut open is Benjamin's. And there rolls out the cup. And all of the brothers fall back down on the ground. And they begin weeping and tearing their clothes. And they're like, please, take me. Judah says, take me instead. And Simeon's like, no, take me. Reuben's like, no, take me. If we don't bring Benjamin back, our father will die. He's already lost one son that he loved. If he loses Benjamin too, he will die. His head will go down to the grave. And Joseph can't control it anymore. And he tells all of his servants to leave. And listen to what he says. Then Joseph said to his brothers in chapter 45, verse 4, it says, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And for two years now, there's going to be a famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. 
but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Later on in the story at the the end of Genesis, this is what he says. What you meant for evil, God turned it around and used it for good. Church, I, I don't know where you're still holding on to unforgiveness. I don't know the evil that you've experienced and the pain and the suffering and the tears and the torment and the torture and you think it was your fault. It wasn't your fault, but I just want to let you know something. What the enemy meant for evil, what that person in your life meant for evil, that God can take that and turn it around and use it for good. What the enemy meant for evil, And most of you, some of you, you've heard my story and I'm running out of time. Worship team, if you can come and help me. Some of you have heard my story. As a teenager, I knew what was right. I grew up in the church, completely and totally turned my back on God and ran 100 miles in the other direction. I jumped from relationship to relationship to relationship. I searched for meaning in money. I searched for meaning in sexual relationships. I was all messed up and turned upside down. And what the enemy meant for evil to destroy my life, God has said, I'm going to use that as a trophy of grace. And I've been a youth pastor and where kids who have beat themselves up Because instead of fleeing sexual temptation like Joseph, they've heard my story and they're like, Pastor Michael, I don't want to have to go through the brokenness that you have. So I'm making a covenant with God to keep myself pure until I'm married. And what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned around and said, Michael, I'm going to use your life as a testimony of grace. And I'm going to use your testimony to change people's lives and to transform people's lives. Because what I've done from you through you, I can do through them. And here's the thing, church, I want you to see something. That statement that, that we hear nowadays, fake it till you make it, right? All of you know these trees are fake. There's no roots. There's nothing. These are not the sequoia trees that I showed you a picture of. All of these are fake. They've never had to go through winters. They're in the prayer room and in our offices. They don't need sunshine. They don't need water. They don't need fresh air. Why? Because they're all fake. Church, we've got to stop faking it. It's time for us to be real and say, okay, God, I don't have it all together. I don't have it figured out. I'm still struggling with temptation in my life. I'm still struggling with unforgiveness. I'm still struggling with trials. I'm still struggling with rejection. But God, I'm not going to fake it anymore. I'm going to actually let roots be built into my life. And I'm going to make a plan to grow in my relationship with you. God, because when the winds, you guys remember Matthew, right? Chapter 7, Jesus says, when the storms of life come, not if they come, when they come, if you don't have roots in your life, When the storms come, you're going to be blown over. Your life's going to be flipped upside down. And here's the truth of the matter. Your trials, consider it joy. It's producing something in your life. And you might not be able to see it right now, but God is producing a maturity. God is producing a perseverance. God is producing a righteousness. God is producing a discipline in your life so that you can grow up into the men and women of God that he's calling you and me 
to be. So church, let's stop faking it. Let's stop pretending like we're okay when we're not okay. It's okay not to be okay. If we cannot be okay in the church, then where else can we go? If you can't be the real self here, if you can't be your real self here, then where in the world can you be real at? We're not here to judge you. We're not here to point fingers at you. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to say, hey, follow us as I follow Christ. Follow me and let's build, let's allow God to establish some roots in our life so that we can be the men and the people of God and the women of God that God is calling us to be. So here's my call to you tonight. It's just simply this. Maybe you're going through one of these trials. Maybe you're going through another trial that I didn't even talk about tonight, but you're facing it right now. You're living in this trial. And if that's you tonight, I just, and you're saying, Pastor Michael, will you just pray for me? Because I feel like giving up. Some days I feel like throwing in the towel. Some days I feel like not moving on because it feels like this trial is just too much. Joseph is an incredible example of perseverance facing walking through the trials of his life. So if that's you tonight and you're facing a trial, I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're not going to ask you to tell anyone what that trial is, but if you're facing a trial tonight, will you just stand up and we just want to pray for you. Anyone in the house, thank you guys for being brave enough and courageous enough to do that. Thank you so much. And if there's someone around you tonight, you don't have to put your hand on their shoulder. Will you just stretch out your hand towards them? And we're going to bless you tonight. We're going to bless you even in the midst of your trials. That God has not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. He's working something underneath that you don't see right now. God, I thank you. I thank you for preserving this story for us for thousands and thousands of years. Reminding us, Lord, that we're going to face trials. Reminding us, God, that there is an end. We might not see it yet, but there is an end in sight. And God, you're working in the midst of all of our trials. God, you're bringing a maturity. You're bringing a perseverance inside of our lives. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing here tonight. Whatever trial they're facing, whatever trial they're walking through, whatever they're going through right now, God, would you give them the wisdom to know what to do? And then God, would you give them the courage to get up tomorrow morning and to take another step? Would you give them the courage tomorrow morning to get up and to take another breath? God, would you give them the strength tomorrow to make it through another day knowing, God, that you haven't forgotten them, you haven't abandoned them, that you are for them, not against them, that you have a plan and a destiny and a purpose, God, even in the midst of the trials. And so, God, I pray supernaturally in some way that you would bring about joy in these trials in their life. Lift them up, encourage them, remind them that you are with them every step of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 We can applaud God for that. Praise God. If everyone, if all of you would stand with me here tonight. And God's doing some special things right now, even here tonight. And I'm so thankful for that. God's doing some restoration right here in the room here tonight. And so I just want to ask you, we, we never want to end a service without giving the opportunity for people to respond in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what pastor said a little while ago, the most, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. 
God loved, God gave. John says, if we believe, we receive eternal life. God loves you. So God gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that you could have life. And if you believe that Jesus died on that cross for your sin, then you receive eternal life. That's the gospel. And so tonight we're going to pray this prayer. And we're just saying, God, I trust you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you gave your son. Now I want to believe, to put my trust and my hope in you so that I can receive eternal life. Will you just repeat this with me, Heavenly Father? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he rose again so that I could have life. Come into my heart so that I can live my life for you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we thank God for salvation tonight? And Pastor Jason is right over here. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're online or you're in the room, we want you to know we would love to connect with you. We would love to get your information, answer any questions you might have about the decision that you just made or just help you get connected here at Calvary Church. So when everyone goes this way out these doors, if you'll come and meet Pastor Jason right here, it'll just take one minute. We want to connect with you. We want to bless you here tonight. Pastor Stephen's going to lead us in one last song here tonight, but officially you are dismissed. God bless you. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you guys this Saturday or Sunday. Yeah.